Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number five, verse number one. And seeing the multitude, he went up unto a mountain. Everybody shout mountain. Everybody shout mountain. He went up into a mountain, and when he was set down, his disciples came to him. It's very important that he was sitting in a mountain. I'll explain in just a moment. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We love that verse. We always put that verse on our Christian bookmarks and our pictures that we buy from Lifeway, right? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before them. Jump back to chapter five, verse one, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and started teaching and said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. I, uh, we've been having our small group, um, on Sunday nights, and we've been talking a little bit about how the Bible is connected. We've been talking a little bit about how the Bible is one book, that it's not 66 books with a handful of authors. People always ask, well, or they debate, well, who wrote Hebrews, and who wrote Job, and who wrote this, and who wrote that? There's really one author, and he was the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost really wrote the whole thing, and you have to be able, whenever you're digging into the Bible, you have to be able to detect and pick up the various storylines that carry themselves all throughout the Bible. The Bible is a continuity. There's a continuity to the scriptures. There's a continuity to the text. That's why when you read Matthew's gospel, chapter five, verse one, and you see Jesus say, or you see the writer say something like Jesus climbed up into a mountain. You can't just gloss over that. That's not an irrelevant detail. God never gives irrelevant details. A lot of times the real treasure of what God wants to say is actually hidden and what we believe is the irrelevant details. Your Bible says that Jesus climbed up into a mountain and whenever you really get ready to dissect the Bible and rightly divide the word, you have to go in your mind and you have to think, where did I hear about a mountain again? Where was the first time? Where was a couple of the first instances that I heard about a mountain? Oh yeah, I remember when I heard about another mountain when Moses went up on top of his mountain. Your Bible says when Moses went up on top of his mountain that he received the law, but now Jesus is going up on top of his mountain and now he's not teaching 
breaking the law anymore. Now Jesus is bringing in an entirely different message, not the message of the law, but the message of grace. When you see Jesus climb up into his mountain, you have to see that there are two conflicting mountains that we have in view here. The people that saw Jesus climb up into a mountain, they were reminiscent of, I remember when Moses went up into his mountain and he told us everything that we were doing wrong. And he began to bring in condemnation and he began to bring in the anger and the fear and the judgment of God. But now Jesus is climbed up into his mountain and now he's not bringing in the message of an angry God. Now he's bringing in the message of a loving father because the entire Bible fits together. And we celebrate the New Testament. We celebrate the content, the, the, the concept of grace and we preach about grace and some people over preach about grace. But we love grace. We love the idea of grace. And we have this notion, we've had this notion in the church for quite some time now that grace is the great cover-up for our sin. People will even say things like this, that the New Testament is what we live by. We are no longer under the Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament anymore. We just live under the New Testament. And I fully understand what they're saying. And there's certainly an argument to be made for that. But what we have to understand is that when Jesus showed up on the scene, he did not present a lower level of holiness, he presented a higher level of holiness. We always shout about the fact that we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. In reality, grace requires more of you, not less of you. Amen. You with me this morning? Is everybody okay? Y'all still upset over the football comment? I apologize. I repent. Show me some grace. <laughs> <clears throat> Inside, because I, I hear people all the time, I hear people, thank God we're not under the law because the law was so vicious and the law was so cruel and the law was so rough. Thank God we're not under the law. Now we're under grace and now we have this, we have this ever moving, this ever moving standard that it's really totally up to you. And we have these theologies now that teach people that you can sin a little bit in moderation and it's no longer sin. How can you do a little bit in moderation and it not be sin, but if you do it too much, it becomes sin? Who determines? when we leave moderation and step into excess. Now we have these moving targets because holiness has become a curse word in the church. I'm, listen, they all making me work way too hard. I was shouting at the football game yesterday. Can y'all give a brother a, a handout this morning? Holiness has become a moving target in the church. As a matter of fact, usually when we preach on holiness, people start flaring up thinking, well, you better not get too legalistic. As though our greatest fear in the church today is that we're becoming too legalistic. In reality, the world has become so churchy and the church has become so worldly, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to be able to tell the difference between who is who. Je that's why Jesus still said, come out from among them and be ye separate. Jesus still said, straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life and few there be that go, right is still right, wrong is still wrong, black is still black, white is still white, holiness is still right, and sin is still wrong. Is there anybody in the house that agrees with me today? <clears throat> So we have this misconception whenever we get into the New Testament that, oh, thank God we've thrown off the fetters of all of those rules and those regulations and those standards from the old covenant. Now we're just free to kind of just be. And we tell people all the time, you're just awesome because you suck in air and blow it back out. You're awesome. And there, uh, believe me, you do have value and God loves you. But what I'm afraid of is I'm afraid we have completely missed what Jesus came to talk to us about. 
Jesus said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. When you get into grace, grace does not present a lower standard of holiness. It presents a higher standard. Because when you were under the law, the law was just concerned with your actions. Jesus doesn't even talk about your actions. He's talking about your heart. You're hearing what I'm saying? Because we can have the Christian actions and still not have the heart right. I grew up in a holiness church where you couldn't cut your hair, couldn't wear deodorant, and women couldn't wear pants. They looked the part but were mean as snakes. Y'all ever met those grumpy holiness people that hate life? but love God, will give a message in tongues and cuss you out in three seconds. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Shondo, you better shut your mouth. I'll slap you in the middle of next week, you little cuss. <laughs> Y'all don't know what kids' church was like back in the day. We didn't have, you know what kids' church was? It was sitting beside grandma. That was kids' church. Dare you to say something. Dare you to say something. I came up in a church day where grandma was not afraid to take you out in front of everybody, beat you on the front porch of the church, and then drag you back in and say, you better dry it up. You just physically assaulted me. Now I don't even have the right to cry about it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Under the old covenant, your Bible says that if you kill a man, you are a murderer. Under grace, the Bible says, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. You don't have to kill him. You just have to hate him. Then you are a murderer. Under the old covenant, the Bible said, if you sleep with somebody that's not your wife, then you are an adulterer. Under grace, the Bible says, if you think about sleeping with somebody that's not your wife, then you are an adulterer. Grace does not present a lower standard of righteousness. It presents a higher standard of righteousness. And we have this church that is celebrating their carnality and calling it grace. Because we completely misunderstand what Jesus came to say to us. I believe grace is the most gripping, amazing, beautiful message in the world. That grace is the most outrageous, unbelievable, undeserved message we could ever hear. And it goes something like this. He loves you just as you are. Is anybody thankful that he loves you just as you are? Is anybody thankful that you didn't have to have all your junk together before you came to Jesus? Is anybody still thankful that you still ain't got to have all your junk together? Take off that church face for just a minute and let's talk plain. Is anybody thankful that you didn't have to have it all figured out before Jesus said yes to you? Grace is he loves you just like you are. And he refuses to leave you like he found you. Because we've taught a generation, yeah, you can have all of these struggles and all of these sin issues. Yeah, you can be promiscuous. Yeah, you can be addicted. Yeah, you can have this, that, and the other. And all you got to do is just come to church, and we will never, ever, ever mention it. We will never, ever, ever challenge it. And we will just say, you just, we just want you to show up. We just want you to show up. So when all our pastor buddies ask us, how many are we running, we can give them the biggest number possible. And we will never talk about your sin. And we will never talk about your compromise, because you might not show up if we start talking about it. That is not the message of grace. The message of grace is if you are unclean and impure, good. We know exactly the place you need to go for him to do a work in your life. He loves you just like you are, but he's not going to leave you like he found you. You were hearing what I'm saying. And so we have this misunderstanding of grace. We think grace is the great cover up for our sin. 
Grace is not the great cover-up for our sin. Grace is the empowerment that God gives for us to live without sin. It is not grace to say you are addicted and you get to stay addicted. It is grace to say you are addicted, but you don't have to live that way for the rest of your life. It is not grace to say you might be confused over your sexual orientation, but don't worry about it. Grace says you might be confused over your sexual orientation, but Jesus has an answer and he has healing for you. (coughs) Grace is misunderstood. It is not the great cover-up for our dysfunction. It's God's empowerment for us to be free from dysfunction. As a matter of fact, Paul told, Paul told Titus, he said, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everybody, and it teaches us, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust. How do you, how do you develop enough power to say no to temptation? Simple. Grace. So we misunderstand grace. We misunderstand what Jesus came to even talk to us about. We totally miss, we totally miss the, 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 the idea even behind grace because today we use it as the license for our carnality. And yeah, I know it's wrong, but after all, grace. Yeah, and I know I shouldn't act this way, but hey, after all, grace. And then I wanted to take a journey through the very first sermon that we ever hear Jesus preaching and get behind what Jesus taught about grace. All through your your New Testament, Paul is always championing this idea that you received a righteousness that you did not earn. And your sin and judgment that you did earn was put on somebody else. He even says something like this in Romans. I'm going to teach on grace one day. I'm going to teach it in such a way that it's going to baffle your mind. That it is so, grace is actually greater than what we've preached it to be. We cannot, we cannot ever over exaggerate the goodness of God. Or the grace of God. We can misunderstand it, but we cannot over exaggerate it. He, he had the nerve to say this over in Romans chapter number four. He said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness with no works. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. This is what he said. The word impute means to take an accounting of. Blessed is the man who did not do works of righteousness, but God put to his account that he is righteous anyway. And then blessed is the, is the man who did live a lifestyle of sin, but God did not put on his account his lifestyle of sin. Jesus was the one that lived righteous. We were the ones that lives sinful and he erases the sin off of our account and writes it on Jesus account and he erases the righteousness off Jesus account and writes it on our account without our works no 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 it's amazing but Jesus starts his message like this blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven I remember when I was a, a young man first reading the Beatitudes, I was reading them in English class. I was 14 years old. Remember it like it was yesterday. Thinking, what is this guy talking about? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It was weird to me. It seemed like Jesus was preaching in Proverbs. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like, what? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Oh, yeah, that's the one that we use at funerals, right? Blessed are those who mourn. 
because you're going to see him again on the other side. You're going to be comforted. And so that was easy enough. I, I, I figured that one out. I didn't figure out the poor in spirit part, but the mourning part, I was like, yeah. Blessed are the meek. I guess that means humble. For they shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? Moving right along. Blessed, right, this is how we've read it, right? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Even though we have divorced it from its entire context, we still put it on everything. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be. Y'all like it when I do that, don't you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we say yes. And you've heard that, you've heard that quoted a thousand times in, in worship. Come on, is anybody hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be filled? Yes, glory to God. And we think, yeah, that's, that's me, that's me, that's me, right? And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. And we're like, yeah, Keep going. And then blessed are those who are reviled for righteousness sake. Yeah, that's me on Facebook because people don't like what I post on Facebook. So that one applies to me. So out of his entire message, there's about three verses that we even almost have a semblance of what Jesus was talking about. And we completely missed that. Jesus was the greatest communicator, greatest preacher, greatest orator, greatest exegete of the entire planet. He is not preaching in fragmentary ideas that are divorced one from another. Jesus is taking us on a journey toward grace. And he said, before you ever get to grace, you have to start here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is where he says you've got to begin. Before you ever arrive at the beauty of the grace of God, we have to start with how impoverished we are in the reality of our own devotion toward God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this offends our American Christianity because we've went around telling ourselves how amazing we are. But Jesus said, if you really want to embrace what I have for you it has to start here you have to become poor in spirit you have to be broken over your condition I know this is kind of deep for a Sunday morning and you wanted something else and we'll do something really cute for Christmas but it starts like this we have to be broken over our condition before God the word poor in spirit actually has the word picture of the way a beggar would beg for a crumb from the master's table he's saying that's how you have to get before me before you get into what I have for you, you've got to come to the grips with, you got to come to grips with who you really are without me. Everybody in this church told me, we want you to preach hard. We want you to bring it. We want you to cut on us, pastor. Here we are. Blessed are the poor. When was the last time in American church, you heard a good message about we got to be broken before God. When was the last time that your sin and compromise so gripped you that you went before God in a broken condition and said, God, if I don't have you, I am a miserable, blind, poor, filthy wretch. I know it doesn't preach right, but it's still the truth nonetheless. I feel like so many times in America, we're just like the church in Revelation. You say, I'm, I, am, I am rich and increased with goods and I have need of nothing. And you don't realize you're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. 
You say you are rich and increased with goods. We have buildings and we have multiple campuses. No power to heal anybody, but multiple campuses. A million followers on Instagram, but no power to deliver the oppressed. Oh, hallelujah. I'm about to preach it. But no power to deliver the oppressed. If somebody comes in with a devil, we don't have anything to offer you. What you should do, just go to our small group and that'll get you set free. We say we are rich and increased with goods, but we don't realize we're poor and we're naked and we're in need and we're in poverty of spirit somebody shout hallelujah huh I grew up in a church where we didn't have kids church and we didn't have good music and the preacher could not preach himself out of a wet paper sack but if you were depressed you could get something from God if you were cutting yourself you could get something from God if you were fighting a devil you could get set free we're rich and increased with goods. We have multiple services and no glory. God, I need somebody to help me. We, we have our preacher wears the tightest skinny jeans you've ever seen. No anointing within a country mile, but he looks good when he's up there pontificating and telling his jokes. And he's got the forearm Hebrew tattoo and the fake glasses and the scarf and the whole bit. No, I don't have tattoos. I don't like needles. We're rich and increased with goods. And we don't realize we're wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. Did you see our church budget this year? Oh, did you see how the people gave? We got so much money, we can do whatever we want to do with it. We can buy a new bus or we can build. And I think that's, I think that's wonderful. We can build a brand new building. And, and it's like the man over in Luke 17 when he says, my barns are not big enough. I'm going to tear down these barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And he says, do you not understand, fool, that your soul's going to be required of you tonight we say we are rich and increased with goods and we don't realize we're poor wretched miserable blind and naked we have our heard people say the church in america is doing the greatest she's ever done is she really is she really because we have more people coming i think that's wonderful i think that's wonderful and now we're relevant we're not relevant we're culturally bound we're bound to the opinions of a culture going to hell that's what we are we said we are rich and increased with goods, and we don't realize we're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. Jesus is saying, you think you're this, but in my eyes, you're that. And he said, when you come to grips with your poverty of spirit, he said, when you come to grips with that, you're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When one translation says, happy to be envied are the poor in spirit. Boy, that's a different definition of blessed, ain't it? Next time you ask somebody, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Really? Blessed? Because of the poverty of your spirit? And then Jesus takes it a step further. He begins with this. If you want to arrive at grace, you start here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This sermon of his is not disconnected ideas. He takes poverty of spirit to another level. Then he says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn. Not talking about funerals. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are we mourning over? We're mourning over the condition of our poverty of spirit. 
When was the last time God so highlighted a sin or an area of compromise to you that it brought those hot tears streaming down your cheeks and you went to get along with God and you said, God, you've got to get this out of me. I see something growing in my soul that's not pleasing to you and I'm going to come before you and I want you to break me and I want you to purify me and I'm going to come get on this floor and I'm going to go get in this prayer closet and I'm not leaving till you rip this out of me. Oh God. I'm trying. When was the last time? I remember being a young man. I remember being a young man. If I ever thought a thought that I thought was unpleasing to God, it would my, my eyes would well up with tears because I thought I cannot allow anything to get between me and God. This is coming from a, we, we don't even have altar calls in churches anymore. We don't want to give anybody an opportunity to mourn over their poverty of spirit. And then we lie to ourselves and say, oh, that'll just happen in a small group. What you got a you got a morning small group I can sign up for? Who's leading that one? The weeping prophet? Who's leading that one? You hearing what I'm saying? And we have small groups, and I believe they're indispensable. I believe they are crucial. I love them. I love it getting together with our small group. But there are some things that have to be fixed just between you and God that we can't say, oh, go to a group, oh, go to a group, oh, go to a group, oh, go to a group. You hearing what I'm saying? When was the last time that mourning spirit, when was the last time that weeping spirit came on you because you realized I'm not where I need to be with God? Oh, I'm still going to church and throwing my offering in the offering bucket, but my heart's not burning the way it's supposed to burn, and there's not a fire in my belly the way there's supposed to be a fire in my belly. When was the last time that mourning gripped you? We don't preach on this anymore. You know why? Because we just tell people, oh, grace. Grace. I listened to a great, uh, a phenomenal preacher the other day. Uh, he, he, I, I agree with 80, I agree, I agree with 95% of the stuff that he preaches, but he was mocking the sinner. You remember in the scripture, I believe it's Luke 19, when the sinner and the Pharisee go into the temple and the Pharisee goes in and he says, I am rich and increased with goods and I have need of nothing. God, thank you that I'm not like this sinner. And the sinner comes before God with his head bowed low and he's ripping his garment and he's saying, God, I'm not worthy. Would you please have mercy on me, a sinner? And then I heard a preacher mocking the posture of the sinner. Because who preaches that old school stuff anymore? Words like repentance. Words like sin. Consecration. Are y'all all right this morning? He, he, we go all the way down to verse 12. I'm at the second one. I got eight minutes left. Mocking the, the posture. What, whatever happened to Joel, rend your heart, not your garments. Pour ashes on your head and weep between the porch and the altar because you've fallen away from God. It's awfully quiet in this Presbyterian church, I'm telling you what. When was the last time? When was the last time you mourned? When was the last time you wept? Not over, not over you got a check in the mail you didn't expect. And I think that is worth weeping over. When was the last time you wept because you thought, God, I'm not serving you the way I'm supposed to be serving you. Oh, God, oh, Jesus. When was the last time you wept and said, God, I'm not praying the way I need to be praying. And I'm not getting in your word the way I need to be getting in your word. And I'm letting every foolish excuse I could possibly concoct to take me away from you. When was the last time? And then Jesus drives the knife in deeper. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are they mourning over? Their poverty of spirit. Blessed now, watch. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Because after you've been broken in spirit and you've mourned over your situation, something happens to you. It has a tendency to humble you. And you don't walk around with a spiritually elitist mentality of how you're greater and better and more anointed than everybody. And you don't walk around throwing rocks at everybody else and throwing rocks at everybody else's kid. Well, my kid's serving God, but I don't know what's going on in that house. You ain't been broken in spirit yet. Blessed are the meek because when God, uh, let, me, let me tell you this way. Jesus said this. He said either you can fall on the rock or the rock can fall on you. And when you fall on the rock, there's a humbling that happens. There's an emptying of yourself that happens. You finally realize I might not be the greatest Christian in the world. And I might need to be careful before I start pointing out everybody else's sin. If we judge sin in our own life half as much as we judge sin in everybody else's, we would be so consumed with getting our own self right, we wouldn't even be able to notice what everybody else was doing. Hallelujah. Before you point out everybody else's Facebook and Instagram, fix your own self. <laughs> it's called taking the speck out of somebody else's eye and ignoring the beam in your own eye. Before you feel legitimized to criticize the whole world, you better make sure your own life is ordered absolutely perfect. How do you get there? He breaks you. He breaks you. If we judge sin in our own kids the way we judge it in everybody else's, man, it is awfully quiet in here. If we judge sin in everybody else's children the way we judge it in our own, if we look back and say, I, can you believe they're letting her go to that? Unbelievable. I don't know. And all of the gossip and the whispering and the backbiting, let me tell you what your problem is. You ain't been humbled yet by God. Because when God humbles you and you see sin in somebody else's life, it doesn't lead you to gossip. It leads you to prayer and it leads you to weeping. And if... Oh. And if there's something going else in somebody else, if there's something going on in somebody else's kid, I'm not going to throw rocks at them. I'm going to go before God and I'm going to team up with that parent and I'm going to say, I love you and I know you're going through something and let's band together and let's believe God to move in your babies. You know what that sounds like to me? Christianity. Christianity. Right? Well, that's not what the that's not what the word the word says. That is wrong, and the word says you don't even own a Bible. <laughs> Let me tell you what the word says. If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you go to them in the spirit of meekness. Y'all ain't ready for this this morning. I should have preached something else. I knew I should have driving over here. You see a brother overtaken in a fault. You that are spiritual. You go to them in meekness. Watch what Paul said. And you better think about yourself. We're going to turn there together. Go to Galatians chapter 6. I apologize to the setup team in advance. I'm trying my best. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. When you get there, say yes. Three people. When you get there, say yes. Charlie, can you put that on the screen for me? Yeah. 
Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, you go restore him, not rebuke him, not criticize him, not throw rocks at him. You go restore him. If you are not going in the spirit of restoration, you are a Pharisee, your Bible says. You don't go in the spirit of rebuke and of correcting. And I'm going to set this straight by God. You go and you restore them. In the spirit of meekness. Another translation says, in the spirit of gentleness. Watch. He drives it further. Considering yourself before you go pointing it out in everybody else, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. I'm not going to say a thing about anybody's kids. I've got three. If I sow mercy, I will reap mercy. So when I see a family going through something, I'm throwing mercy at them. I'm not throwing gossip at them. I'm not. Can you believe? Oh my God! And they're in leadership in that church. Oh my God! Can you believe? This ain't right. You don't have the foggiest clue what's going on. You don't have the. You don't have a clue what's going on. Amen. I despise that stuff. And in your effort to appear holy, you want to crush people and cast them away. But you feel awfully good about yourself, don't you? You know why? Because he's not humbled you through your poverty of spirit and through mourning yet. Right? When there's some, if there's something in you, uh, all right. If there's something in you, if there's an ounce of celebration in you, when you hear something negative about somebody else, I know we put on that fake church face and it's, oh, man, that is so tough. And then when you get along with your family, you're like, well, I told them. There ain't nobody talking plain to me. Where you at, Al? I'll talk to you. Me and you'll preach this together. Right? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, Paul? Well, I, I, I knew it was coming. If they would listen to me, Right. If there's an ounce in you that celebrates when a church in this city is going through something, if a ch- I've seen people, I've seen people rejoice over churches splitting secretly in their heart. And I think you devil. Amen. Hope and limit is what you told me you wanted, and this is still the tame version. Right. Well, there are people leaving that church left and right. Why don't you pray for them? Why don't you pray for them? Why don't you pray for them? Did you hear about that pastor's son? Did you hear about about that pastor's son? I heard that pastor's son was gay. Then why don't you get on your face? (laughs) Why don't you shut your face and get on your face? And if that's true, the only person you need to talk to about it is God. Right? You know why we don't do that? Because we've not been humbled yet. The rumors, the, the, the stuff. The, 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 did, you, did you know about them? Did you know what's going on? Did you hear about their kids? You, you need to shut your face and get on your face. We're going to put a banner up like that out front. Jamie, order it. 
because you've not been humbled yet. You've not been humbled yet. Something happens to you when you go through stuff. You ain't so quick to throw rocks at everybody. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, your favorite verse. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He doesn't mean blessed are those that like coming to church and watching Christian television. After he's broken you and you've mourned and he's humbled you, something happens. You become hungry for righteousness. Y'all come on up. You become hungry for righteousness. Something happens on the inside of you that says, God, I don't care what I've got to do. I want to be right with you. Oh, hallelujah. I don't care what I've got to cut off. I don't care who I've got to cut off. I don't care what you ask me to do. After I have seen my condition before God, after I have been broken in spirit, after I have mourned, after I have been humbled, now something happens to me. I just want to be right with you, God. And I'm not worried about everybody else. I got to get me right. Something happens. You become hungry to be right with God. Something happens after God humbles you, after God breaks you and you mourn and he humbles you. Something happens. You like messages like this, right? You can't preach like this in 90% of the churches in America. They would zip up their Bible that they have not looked at in six months and go home, right? Because we're not hungry for righteousness. But when you're hungry for righteousness, you say, God, whatever you want to say to me, you say it. Three people clapping. God bless you. You saying, you precious saints of God. Whenever you're hungry for righteousness, God, get in my attitudes. Those motives, that secret, hidden rejoicing when I see a family that I don't really like going through some stuff, right? <laughs> I could say some stuff right now, start a fight, but I won't. I don't want us to be focused on growing a church. We're focused on growing people. And what good is it? And, and let, me, let, 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 me, let, me, let me qualify what I've said today. There are some gigantic churches that are doing amazing things for God. There are, I know people that go to those churches that burn for Jesus. I know pastors of huge churches that burn for Jesus. I'm not talking about any particular person or church. I'm talking about a culture and a way of thinking we have adopted in America that we call Christianity that's not Christianity at all. It's Sunday country club-ism, but it's not Christianity. If we can't stand up and look at a church and say, you've got to be poor in spirit. That flies against our, I'm the head, not the tail. When I say, like a beggar begging for a crumb. 
without God, that's exactly where you are. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how pretty your house is. I don't care. Without him, you're a beggar begging for a crumb. And that should drive us to a place of weeping. We say, God, I need you. I need you. More than anything else. I need you. That'll humble you. That'll humble you. After hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he said, blessed are the merciful. For they'll obtain mercy. Because after God's, after you really see the degree to which God has extended you mercy, something happens. You become nice. You start extending mercy when it's not deserved. You're not so quick to judge and throw rocks and pile on. But sort of the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those that are hungry and thirsty to be right. God, there is nothing. We're going to make this covenant today as a church. God, there's nothing you cannot say to us. And there's nothing you can't do in us. And there's nothing you can't do through us. And if there is a shred, if there's an ounce, if there is a drop, if there's a modicum of self-righteousness, of pharisaical elitism, break us. Break us. A little over 100 years ago, one of the greatest revivals to ever happen in the world happened in a little country the British islands called Wales, the Welsh Revival. And it was sparked by a young teenager standing up in a service to pray. And she prayed one thing, one thing only. And revival hit, and in nine months, over 100,000 people were saved. She prayed one thing, this is what she prayed. Bend us, Lord. Bend us. Our vernacular is a little different today, but it's the same thing. Break us. Is there anybody with me this morning? Stand up on your feet as quietly as you can. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.